You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. Okay, y'all. So I am really excited about this episode. I could talk about this topic for hours. This one's going to be a solo episode and I'm giving my two cents on BBLs. There has been tons of quote unquote discourse about BBLs. Lots of people offering their opinions and their hot takes, but I think I have a different perspective to offer. I would like to think I have a different perspective to offer. I feel like there are two main camps that have been talking about BBLs. There's the people who are talking about BBLs in a way that kind of contributes to stigma and shame surrounding the procedure, which in my opinion tends to miss the mark, whether it's because it's poorly informed or because it's short-sighted or because it's really sensationalized. Then there are people who are attempting to talk about it from like a neutral standpoint, sometimes offering facts, but mostly trying to refrain from casting judgment on people who get BBLs. And it seems like for the most part, both types are people who have not gotten BBLs. So I'd like to talk about BBLs as a person who had the procedure done and as a sociologist, because that's what I am by training and that's what informs a lot of my perspectives. What I'm talking about today is a little bit, what I'm talking about today is a little bit about my experience that led up to me getting a BBL, but mostly the social or cultural phenomenon of BBLs and people's perception of them. If you want, I can do a separate episode that that's like a Q&A about my um, my own BBL so you can get detailed information on um, my experience with the procedure and the recovery and stuff. Um, if you're interested in that, there is a link to a form um, in the show notes. If you click the link in the show notes, it will take you to a page where you can anonymously submit questions. So if you're curious and you want to ask questions and you but you don't want nobody to know that you're curious or thinking about you know, getting surgery or whatever, you could ask anonymously. Ask me anything you want. You can also DM me if you don't care about anonymity at not the wife you type on Instagram and Twitter. And if I get enough interest, I'll do an episode answering your questions. Also, I happened to vlog the whole process from arriving at the hotel to pre-op to my consultation with the surgeon while he was marking me up and I was booty butt naked to um, post-op massages and recovery. I, I recorded all that. So I haven't posted it anywhere, but I'm considering creating a Patreon for the podcast, maybe if there's interest and I would be willing to post the vlog of my BBL experience. Of course, I'm going to blur out the part where I'm naked, but I'm willing to post the vlog. So um, the form for your questions will also ask you to specify if you're interested in the BBL vlog. So um I'll remind you at the end of the episode, but if you want more details about my specific experience or uh, my insight on the process or whatever, you can ask me whatever, then I'm going to give you two weeks to get your questions in. You have until Halloween is over to get your questions in at the link in the show notes or to DM them to me on social media. So 
First things first, you know, I start with a story time. So here is some background on some of the reasons why I decided to get a BBL. And for those who may be listening and have no idea what a BBL is, it's a surgical procedure that involves liposuction and fat grafting. So the surgeon performs lipo 360, which is sucking out fat from your flanks, your back, your love handles, your stomach, your fupa areas, um, and then injecting that fat into your hips and or your butt in order to enhance your shape just so we're clear moving along y'all know that saying she got it from her mama well uh, my mama my mama gave me a few things (laughs) she gave me very thick hair she gave me very poor eyesight she gave me some tiggle bitties and she gave me a flat ass so for people who have seen who have never seen me in person um I was super top heavy. I wear a G cup in bras, so very top heavy. But I had I, I didn't have no I didn't have no booty and I had no hips to speak of. So um and I feel like I started growing boobs in elementary school and they were pretty big by the time I was in middle school. <sighs> However, when I started middle school, I really didn't have an awareness that there was anything quote unquote wrong with my shape. I didn't even know that I didn't have an ass. Like I grew up, I grew up kind of sheltered and my mom, um, she's a bit of a holy roller. So (laughs) we were in church like three days a week and, um, we didn't have cable. So I didn't watch stuff that a lot of other kids watched. She only listened to gospel. So I listened to gospel. I remember Nelly's album, Country Grammar was the first um, album that I had ever owned. And definitely the first, I think it might've been the first like rap album that I ever listened to, um, all the way through. So I hadn't really been exposed to much of like hip hop culture yet or rap music or kind of stuff that talks about, um, you know, having ass and what it means to have a big ass and, you know, celebrating big asses and blah, 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 blah. So, um, in middle school, um, as middle school progressed, I started becoming more aware of my different identities, both in terms of my racial identity, um, not just being a girl, but what it means to be a black girl and in terms of my sexual identity. So what did it mean to be attracted to someone else? In my case, it was boys and to want to be attractive to them. By the time I left middle school, I had a keen awareness that I wasn't really the preference of boys that I was attracted to. And I think it was a combination of things, honestly, not just because of my shape, um, but other things like I was brown skinned. I was a little chubby. Um, unlike my ass, my glasses were thick as fuck. So through a process of like getting exposure to more stuff like music videos and watching who boys chose to to chase after, I got the impression that I didn't really look like a black girl was supposed to look if she wanted attention. And so um, I felt invisible at best and, you know, sometimes defective at worst. And I carried that with me throughout um, high school. So fast forward to my senior year and I have a boyfriend, my senior year of high school and I have a boyfriend. So this boyfriend was very pushy when it came to sex and it really bothered me. And I had never had sex and I still wasn't sure I wanted to. But every time we were alone together, he was trying to pressure me into having sex. So um, 
and you know, adult me would have cut ta- cut things off and, you know, blocked him or whatever because he didn't respect boundaries. But 17-year-old me had never been taught about consent and about asserting boundaries. So I thought it was normal for boys to keep trying even after you said you didn't want to do something. So um, one day we were standing on the bus stop together because neither of us had our own cars since we were like 17. I think I was 17 at the time, 16, 17. And I worked up the courage to ask him, why are you always trying to have sex with me? And I will never, ever forget his response with a straight face And actually with no hint of like ill will or malice in his voice, he was just like, you know, what are you talking about? You don't even have nothing to make me want to have sex with you. And he squinted his eyes and tilted his head and looked at me and held out his hands like, you know, like when you're outlining someone's shape and like you're outlining a Coke bottle and you make it real curvy, you're outlining with your hands. Well, he, he held out his hands to like outline my shape, but, um... I'm not shaped like a Coke bottle. (laughs) I was shaped like an inverted triangle. And so that's the shape that he outlined when he was, you know, holding his head to the side and squinting and looking at me. And so um, he, what he meant was that physically, because I didn't have an ass, I wasn't I wasn't even desirable enough for him to want to be trying to have sex with me. So not only was he gaslighting me about pressuring me for sex, but as he clarified, he had to have really liked me and not have been trying to just get sex because physically I wasn't even attractive to him in that way, that in, in a way that would make him want to just want me for sex. <sighs> when I tell you that left a mark... And I don't mean to give the impression that I got a BBL to look good to men because that's not what I'm saying. However, early experiences are important, whether they are positive or negative. Negative experiences in your early life as you're still growing, as you're still forming your identity, tend to have a longer lasting impact than when you're older and you have a better sense of self. Like a large part of adulthood is healing from childhood wounds. It's recognizing the things that you didn't get enough of and giving them to yourself or the stories you needed to believe about yourself in order to survive and unlearning those stories and so on and so forth. So if a man right now were to say, there's nothing about my body that would make him want to have sex with me, you know, my reaction would be worlds apart from 17 year old me who took it as a reflection of my worth and my value. But, um, that's, that experience and his words, um, were definitely something I carried with me for a while and into adulthood. I never felt like I had a problem attracting men or thinking that I wasn't attractive in general. But in the back of my mind, when I dated men, I would wonder if he wished I had a bigger ass. I, I didn't like for men to be behind me and do, be doing things behind me, like um, opening a door and letting me walk through because, for example, because I would I would swear that they were like looking at my ass and wishing it was bigger, basically projecting my own feelings onto him. So, um but it wasn't just men who let me know that they thought my body my body shape wasn't ideal. It was women too. And that saying is true that people won't remember what you said, but they will remember how you how you made them feel. I don't really remember exactly what 
they said each time, but I remember every single woman who has had something disparaging to say about my shape. Because in those moments, I marked them in my mind as unsafe. Like anybody who would randomly and unprovoked say something about me not having an ass for whatever reason. The sense of entitlement we have to talk about people's bodies has always bothered me a lot. And it's why I follow people's lead when talking about bodies. Like if if they are celebrating their ass or their titties or their hair or their weight loss or their weight gain or whatever, then I'll celebrate with them. But I'm not going to point out something that I perceive as a flaw and state as a, state it as a fact. So I used to feel so violated in those moments when people would bring up, you know, my body shape and draw attention to it. But I would also... I would, I would, I would feel violated, but I would laugh it off because I wanted people to like move on. I didn't want to draw more attention to my insecurity by making a big deal about it. So, um, yeah, it just, uh, it, it got to me, even though I pretended like it, it wasn't that big of a deal. So, uh, at this point I'm an adult at this point in my story, I'm an adult and, um, I'd heard about, butt augmentation surgeries, but it was mostly bad stuff. Um, like women getting injected with fix-a-flat and cement and black market butt shots and all kind of stuff. And I pretty much assumed I would never get surgery because it didn't seem safe or plausible. And so um, instead, I did everything else that people say you're supposed to do in order to, fo- to foster you know, self-love. So people... You know, people tell you instead of getting surgery, you just need to learn to love yourself and, you know, be at work with what you got. And I so like I did that. I did things that made me feel good in my body. At my peak, I was exercising five days a week, doing hot yoga, water rowing, bar. I did pole. Um, I danced and felt sexy and sensual in my body. And it was just for me. To this day, I've never danced for a man. I've danced for an audience and like a showcase, but I've never danced specifically for like a partner in like a romantic sense. Um, I, what else have I done? I have taken nudes, not even for the purpose of sharing, but just because I like to be creative and play with lighting and angles and looks and then be able to look back and see what I created. I am comfortable in the nude. Like if my boobs weren't so big, I'd be naked all the time, but Nobody really has time for titties to be in the way of everything you do. So that's the only reason that I'm not naked all the time when I'm at home. But um, I have no problem being naked. I had no problem having sex naked. Funny thing, uh, out of the bedroom, I was concerned about how men saw my ass. But like during sex, it was not even a thought. Let's have sex with lights on, ass naked, no covers. Let's go. (sighs) Then one day I saw a post come across my timeline of a woman who was celebrating her one year booty versary and she she looked really great she looked amazing and she looked very 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 natural and i read the comments to see who her doctor was and that was the beginning i kept an eye on the surgeon for years and i did research to kind of demystify bbls and get past a lot of the sensationalism Um, until I finally decided to take the leap. And ultimately, 
Um, what made me decide to get one is that I wanted to fill out my clothes differently and I wanted to be more proportionate. So I didn't really want, I, I never really wanted like a big ass as much as I wanted to improve my shape. I, I, I don't even have, I don't have the right frame to have a big old huge ass. And I knew that. So I never, um, I knew that if I ever got the surgery, it wouldn't be to have like a big old ridiculous donkey booty. Um, I'm five, two and a half and I don't have the thighs for a huge ass. I just didn't want to be shaped like a pea from my side profile anymore. So, um, I, I already felt like I was pretty, I already felt intelligent. I already felt interesting and creative and all these other great things. Why not add a fat ass to the list of things that I had? Not to be confused with a huge ass, just a fat ass. <laughs> now, um, that's my personal journey to getting a BBL. I want to talk more about the like sociological side. And as a sociologist, we study human social behavior, social interactions, and patterns of behavior and the causes and consequences of these interactions and behaviors. So that sounds like a lot, but it's really not as complicated as it sounds. Like we're interested in why groups of people do what they do and what are the consequences of them doing it. So to sociologists, the individual and society are inseparable because people's patterns of behavior create society and also society impacts people's patterns of behavior. So I hope that makes sense. Maybe if it doesn't, it'll make more sense as I go on to talk about BBLs and stuff. So what does this mean and what does it have to do with BBLs? Um, pretty much everything. So I mentioned in the beginning of the episode that one of the two types of BBL commentary I've noticed is the type that contributes to judgment and stigma for people who have the surgery. So I would even say that um, most of the commentary that's readily available about uh, BBLs without digging is like uh, information that's going to like stigmatize or contribute, contribute to stigma or judgment for people who get BBLs. You see headlines that, you know, call it a BBL epidemic. And keep in mind that an epidemic is an infectious disease, a widespread infectious disease. So we're talking about BBLs like they're a fucking, <laughs> we're in a pandemic talking about BBLs like they're a pandemic. So <laughs> you see articles and people quoting statistics about um, BBLs being the most deadly and the most dangerous surgical procedure, which contributes to fear mongering and which I'll, I'll say more about later, but um, you, you see social media posts ridiculing women for choosing to get surgery, which is effectively shaming women for doing what they want with their bodies. A lot of people and a lot of media outlets are framing BBLs as if they are uniquely problematic or a novel way people relate to their bodies. And I'm just here to say that they're not based on sociology. So, um, BBLs are a type of cosmetic surgery and cosmetic surgeries are a type of body modification and body modifications have been happening probably since the existence of bodies themselves. And, um, any intentional alteration of your anatomy or physical appearance is considered a body modification. So are your ears pierced? Because that's a body modification. 
if you have tattoos, those are body modifications. The thing about those examples of body modification um, is that those have been normalized. We don't see them as an issue because our they're socially acceptable in our society. It's socially acceptable to have pierced ears. It's socially acceptable to have tattoos. Although there was a time when tattooed people were viewed as unemployable because only weirdos or freaks had visible tattoos. Now it's not as much of a big deal for someone to be seen as professional and have tattoos, which points to the fact that um, our attitudes and perceptions of behaviors are not static. Our collective understanding of what it means to behave a certain way or present yourself a certain way changes over time. So um, while body modifications in the form of cosmetic surgery aren't particularly new, the rise in the popularity of BBLs is relatively new. So I think that's where a lot of the sensationalism comes from compared to other types of surgery that have been around for longer, like boo jobs or nose jobs or regular liposuction. And another thing um, to consider is that people have different reasons for modifying their bodies. And as a society, we seem to have agreed that some reasons for modifying your body are more acceptable than others and sometimes even encouraged in those cases. One example of this is body modification to signify social status. So the first thing that came to mind for me uh, with this reason is teeth. Teeth are a, are a marker of social status. So if you're someone who hasn't been able to afford dental upkeep or uh, the best dental hygiene, or you have gaps, or you have rotten teeth, or you have crooked teeth, or you have chipped teeth, or um, whatever, whatever it is, whether you like it or not, people read into that and they use that information to categorize you. Cardi B said she got a bag and fixed her teeth. That's because it wasn't seen as acceptable for her to be as rich as she is and have as much money as she is and to have the teeth that she had before she had riches and fame. So she got a bag and she fixed that shit. That's a body modification. It means something to be able to afford pearly white, straight, perfectly aligned teeth. It means something not to be able to afford that. I grew up working class and my mama could not afford braces growing up. So to this day, my bottom two front teeth are still crooked. And um, this is an acceptable form of body modification. And we're able to talk about it without characterizing people as mentally ill or having low self-esteem or body dysmorphia because they want to get work done on their teeth, which you know, are all things that I've heard people say about people who get BBLs. Another reason people might modify their bodies is to designate their membership within a group. What's a socially acceptable example of this? One example that I that came to mind for me is scarification, or more specifically in the context of Black Greek letter organizations, branding. So um, how many of you have seen men who have their fraternities branded on them? That's a body modification. It's a permanent and a painful one. So, um, you know, there are people who think it's not a smart idea to have it done or to do it, but I've never seen uh, any particularly vitriolic rebukes of men who choose to get branded. I've, I've honestly seen men get more clout than anything else. And then the last thing I want to mention in this non-exhaustive list of reasons why people 
modify their bodies is that people modify their bodies to conform to beauty standards or um, ideals. And most people would probably consider um, getting cosmetic surgeries, including BBLs, to fit into this category. I also think this is the least socially acceptable reason for of, of the three that I've named. But um, social acceptability is a product of our culture. Uh, it's a product of culture, of geography, and of time. There are many types of body modifications across cultures and across periods of time that have passed in and out of practice to conform to shifting ideas of beauty or shifting um, beauty standards. Foot binding used to be a common practice in China where the bones of the feet were crushed and folded over um, and, and feet were bound to give women tiny feet and make them more attractive. Um, to prepare for marriage, women in the Mercy tribe in um, Ethiopia practice lip plating where they use plates to stretch their lips anywhere from three to eight inches. And if you've seen Black Panther, there's a man in, in the movie who uses a lip plate. So that's an example of this. Um, during the Victorian era, women wore corsets that squeezed their internal organs and permanently changed their shapes and cinched their waists um, to measurements of, you know, sometimes less than 20 inches. And again, what I'm trying to demonstrate here is that there is nothing uniquely problematic or extreme or extraordinary about people getting BBLs because... As these examples show, it's uh, it's it's very common human social behavior across geography, across time, and across cultures to change your body to convey social status, to mark you as part of an in-group, or to adhere to beauty standards. So that's not new. And you know, BBLs are sensationalized, but from a historical and a socio-cultural standpoint, it's old news. Like the technologies to achieve body modifications have changed over time, but like the actual like practice of of modifying your body for for specific reasons that's that's old news. So I hope I've also made it clear that it's not body modifications or making changes to your appearance um, that people see as inherently problematic. Because if it were, then we wouldn't have examples that are normalized or even encouraged, as is the case with like fixing your teeth or, or getting branded. Like we have examples of body modification that are, are seen as perfectly normal and, you know, not a big deal or, or non-issue. So it's not that people inherently have an issue with body modifications. There are certain kinds that we've created, um, we've created these value judgments for and we've assigned moral meaning to as as a society. So this is why sociology comes in handy because instead of making moral arguments about people's individual choices, we look at patterns of human social behavior and both how they influence society and are influenced by society. So Instead of framing it as a moral failing or a weakness of an individual who would get a BBL, we would ask the question, what is it about our culture and our social institutions that may be impacting this pattern of behavior? And why is there stigma or shame around this particular type of body modification, but not others, right? So like, how did we assign those meanings to these behaviors? That's what we would ask as sociologists. Or that's what I would ask as a sociologist. So- I think there's definitely something to be said about a society, the society that we live in and how it contributes to us feeling inadequate in our bodies. And there's something to be said about a society in which a person's 
black womanhood can be called into question for not having the quote unquote right body shape, right? And is as was as has been in my case. We live in a capitalist, patriarchal, white supremacist, ableist society. The bottom line is money. And if there are inequities within our society, you can you we can be pretty damn sure that um, it goes back to capitalism. Right. If not those other factors as well, patriarchy, white supremacy, ableism. Um, It's not a coincidence that most people at some point in their lives have something about their bodies that they wish was different or that they wish that they could change. Whether it's your crooked teeth or your body weight or your hair type or your muscle mass or your wrinkles or your ass shape or whatever. Like there is money to be made from insecurities. The beauty industry, the fitness industry are multi-billion dollar industries that feed off of our insecurities. And it's the same money to be made, whether it's getting your teeth done or getting your ass done, if we're being honest about it. So no, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong or immoral about opting for elective cosmetic procedures like BBLs. But I do think it's an indictment of society that these ideas are so strongly enforced that people would be willing to take shortcuts and undergo risky procedures with sketchy doctors to reach these ideas. And... Speaking of it being risky, um, some people may say, well, getting your teeth fixed is a lot safer than BBL. So that's why it gets so much stigma and so much shame. People have so much to say about, you know, women who, who get BBLs. I don't even really think that's the case. I think a lot of people are just concerned trolling when they make um, these arguments about safety Uh, A lot of times the statistics I see people use or the talking points about the dangers of the surgery are not in context. That's that's really how I know or how I I can tell when people are speaking genuinely versus when they're speaking to shame, to stigmatize or to sensationalize or, you know, or to have a moral upper hand. But I'll talk more on those statistics being out of context in a few minutes. I want to first talk about how as a collective or ask the question, why as a collective do we speak pejoratively about BBLs, but not about getting braces if they're both body modifications and it's not about the former being more risky. I think it's acceptable to improve your social status by, for example, fixing your teeth, but The beauty paradox says it's not acceptable to conform to beauty standards by, for example, getting surgery. And the beauty paradox basically is that women are valued according to our youth and our beauty, and we're expected to present as feminine and beautiful at all times. But also women should not go to any lengths to attain said beauty or youthful looks else you know, we'd be considered shallow or lacking in self-love. It's really a catch-22. And this is exactly how I know that people are concerned trolling when they spout jokes um, and, you know, mental health diagnoses about BBLs and about women who get them. People aren't concerned with women's safety. They just want a chance to humiliate women. And I know this because there's no satisfying the most vocal dissenters or, um, you know, people who have the most to say about BBLs, whether, whether you have a BBL or you don't. Like, all you have to do is go look at Twitter. Twitter is like a microcosm of 
all the fuck shit you see out in the world. All you have to do is go look at Twitter on any given day when they're talking about BBLs, which is like every other day that it's a topic of conversation. And you'll see the contradiction and the lack of logic with, you know, some of the, the talking points that people have. And I have a few perfect examples of some viral tweets that demonstrate this. The first tweet was before and after pictures of a black woman from her front profile. And in her before picture, she had full hips, love handles, and some belly pudge. And in her after picture, the fat had been lipoed away to give her a flat stomach and her hips were more full than they were in her before picture. So most people were commenting, quote, tweeting and commenting on how she looked better in her before picture with her natural body and all she needed to do was some cardio or some crunches and that would have gotten her to her after picture according to them. What they didn't realize though is that um, these were before and after pictures from her second round BBL. So she had already had a BBL in her before picture and it was interesting to me because people love saying that BBL bodies make women look like ants or like Donkey Kong or like diaper booties and they love to assert their uh, preference for natural bodies, or they love to say that natural bodies are superior. Meanwhile, they don't even, a lot of them, a lot of them can't even distinguish between a subtly done BBL body and the natural bodies that they claim they prefer. They just, they really just be talking. And so another example I saw probably like a day or two after the first example was another, um, set of before and after pictures of a non-black woman from a side profile. And in her before picture, she was top heavy. She had a belly. She had small legs. And she had what someone in the comments described as a Hank Hill booty. It was flat, um, especially in comparison to her stomach and her chest. So her after picture showed her with like a, a flat stomach and a butt that was well proportioned for her body. And this time it went viral with people saying how horrible, how horribly she was shaped in her before pictures and how they would rather not be alive than have a have a body like she had in her before picture and how it was money well spent on a surgery and on and on and on. And, you know, here I am like looking at these comments and I'm thinking, okay, so I thought BBLs were so dangerous that anybody who would risk their lives to get one had to be mentally ill or had to have body dysmorphia or extremely low self-esteem or be chasing clout as an IG model. I thought women just needed to practice self-love and learn how to work with what they got. I thought you could just go to the gym and get the body you really want. Like It's amazing how all that went out the window when it was a body that uh, wasn't considered worthy of male desire. And that's one of the things that gets, that, that really gets me. It's both men and women participating in this type of shaming and humiliation. Um, but women participate thinking they have like a moral high ground, not realizing they're just as much a pawn as they're claiming women who get BBLs are. So like lots of the women like to say that they only, the only reason women are getting BBLs is to appeal to men or the male gaze. Lots of women, you know, like to pose the question, do men even like natural bodies anymore? Or like to boast that they would never or don't need to ever get surgery because they, they, you know, have better self-esteem or whatever, pitting women against each other as natural bodies versus BBL bodies or, you know, valuing themselves based on their choice to have natural bodies. 
And just all this policing of other women and their choices, um, you know, to be surgically enhanced or whatever. But like, sis, every bit of that is for the male gaze. Every bit of that is patriarchal conditioning to overvalue men's thoughts, opinions, and ideas about women's bodies. So are you pointing out how foolish you think it is to get a BBL because you're genuinely concerned or because you think it sets you apart and puts you on a pedestal? Um, so that's just the question I have for a lot of the women who seem to have stuff to say about getting BBLs. Another example, I've also seen some pretty wild commentary on celebrities' bodies, and I can't remember who this celebrity was in this particular instance, but, um, I think there was a post on like the shade room or something. I didn't see it in its original context of where it was posted. I saw it reposted and some of the comments attached to it. Um, it was a woman who had had a BBL, but the people weren't commenting on her BBL. The people were talking about how bad they thought the cellulite on her thighs looked. And, um, I don't know if people were aware of this, but like cellulite is a natural thing, whether you're thick or thin. And it's, you know, it's not it's not uncommon, especially for, you know, some big old thighs to have cellulite. So here people are, you know, making remarks about the cellulite on this celebrity's thick thighs and her thighs matched her quote unquote BBL ass or whatever. So this just proves like people don't like when your thighs don't match and they have a problem when your thighs do match. People just have a problem no matter what you do. And then the last example was a video of SZA and she was making her ass clap on stage. And I think there was a previous video that may have shown her from like a front angle that I didn't see because the caption on the video that I did see said something like, this is the angle we've been waiting for or something. So um, it was an angle from behind her. And so you could see her booty moving or whatever. And a lot of the comments on the video were about how disappointed they were because she had no ass or she was all thighs or blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I thought SZA looked good, like, uh, but there were a lot of men in the comments saying otherwise. And, you know, that just proves to me that misogyny is the point. It doesn't really matter if you have a natural body. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, surgical enhancements. The misogyny is the point. Policing women's bodies is the point. Humiliating women is the point. You can do everything quote unquote right and still be picked apart because that's patriarchy. And that's why I can truly say that I didn't really give a fuck about what people would say when I decided to get surgery because people already took liberties, you know, in discussing my body and making disparaging comments about my body before I got surgery. So if people are going to make comments regardless, I might as well have a fat ass to show for it. That was my logic. So <laughs> um, I do think there's also an element of misogynoir too. I think generally we police women's bodies and judge their choices, but there's a special contempt reserved for black women and our choices and our choices are, you know, always open to criticism. So like ass is supposed to be black women's domain. So a surgery to enhance your ass is going to be associated with black women or with, you know, trashy white women who want to snag black men. But, um, the last thing I want to do before I end the episode is, I feel like I've already been talking for so long, is address uh, some misconceptions about BBLs. 
Since BBLs are so sensationalized, it's very easy to believe the things that you see most. But like I mentioned before, those things aren't always in context and sometimes are just like flat out not true. So misconception number one, um, people who get BBLs do it as a result of body dysmorphia or mental illness. This one like I particularly, I have to, I have to say that word really slow or else I mess it up. I particularly dislike and it drives me up a wall, but I've heard it very often. So, you know, words mean things and body dysmorphia or body dysmorphic disorder or BDD as I'll call it is not what a lot of people seem to think it is. From the way the concept gets thrown around, people seem to think it means that you're, you know, really unsatisfied with the way your body looks, sometimes based on what you think it should look like. And you're so unsatisfied that, you know, you have low self-esteem and you're willing to go to risky lengths to to change the way your body looks. That's not what body dysmorphic disorder, BDD, that's not what BDD is. So BDD is a brain disorder and it causes people to fixate on perceived, keyword perceived flaws that are not observable to others or that are minor flaws that no one else really thinks is a big deal. So people with BDD can spend hours obsessing over their perceived flaw and you know the amount of time could average anywhere from like three to eight hours a day they can have compulsive behaviors in response to their perceived flaw like um, constantly checking the mirror or skin picking if it's something on their skin that they're um, kind of obsessing over and most people with BDD have a lifetime of suicidal thoughts in relation to their perceived flaw it can be so bad that it can interfere with their ability to maintain jobs and relationships because their preoccupation with their flaw consumes so much of their time and their energy. And they can have social anxiety for fear that when they're around others, people are going to like judge their perceived flaw. So, um, while BDD can lead some people to pursue cosmetic surgery, it's not the cause for most people. And about like 1.7 1.7 to 2.9% of the general population has BDD. So someone who has BDD and gets surgery may still be preoccupied with the flaw that they had, uh, that they like got surgery to address. And that's because, you know, like I said, BDD is a brain disorder and it affects how people visually process information. It's not simply being unhappy with your body like people seem to think it is. So someone who does not have BDD and gets surgery will be able to see the changes in their bodies after surgery. And this, you know, they may or may not be, um, they may not, they may or may not have a favorable, favorable opinion of those changes, but they're able to see them because BDD is a, is a brain disorder. So Um, we are, I just, I feel like we are flooded with images of ideal bodies on a daily basis. And we're reminded all the time of how our bodies need to conform or else, you know, be denied basic decency. So it's not body dysmorphia or BDD to exist in this society and wish that you looked more like these ideal bodies or to take measures so that you can look more like these ideal bodies. That's why it bothers me so much because 
BDD is, or body dysmorphia is about a perceived flaw that no one else can see, or if they can, that they hardly, hardly notice. So for me, seeing internet experts diagnosing people with BDD and body dysmorphia after a lifetime of people telling me what my flaw was, it's, it's, it's enraging sometimes. I, I didn't even know that I was a defective black girl until others pointed it out to me and continued to point it out to me. So um, I just, I really cannot stand when people say, oh, you, you got body, body dysmorphia. If you got surgery, please, please, please don't do that. Um, misconception number two, the mortality rate for BBLs is the highest of all surgeries at one in 3000. This is a misconception because it's usually quoted without any context whatsoever. BBLs are a relatively new surgery compared to other cosmetic procedures. And a Brazilian surgeon named Evo Pittingi, I'm sure I butchered that, is credited with creating the procedure in the 1960s, although it probably didn't look exactly like the procedure um, as we know it today. Um, it only started gaining popularity in the U.S. around 2010 for various reasons that there's not enough time to get into on this episode. But um, like any other surgery, there is a learning curve when a surgery is newer and doctors are still developing b- best practices. So like tummy tucks used to have a mortali- mortality rate of 1 in 3,000, just like the quoted stat for BBLs. And liposuction's death rate um, used to be right around 1 in 5,000. So those numbers have since changed and so have the numbers for BBLs. The 1 in 3,000 stat came from a 2016 anonymous survey of almost 5,000 plastic surgeons worldwide in which only 692 surgeons responded. And what they found what they found is that the risk of death um, changes drastically depending on where you insert the fat or how deeply you insert the fat. So one of the biggest concerns with BBLs is a fat embolism, which is where fat enters the bloodstream and clots or um, travels to the heart. And if that happens, there's virtually nothing that the surgeon can do. It's already too late and um, it can be, it's, it's likely to be fatal. So What the 2016 study found is that surgeries where the fat was injected too deeply made death rates for BBL sore. But when surgeons inject fat subcutaneously or above the muscle, then the rate, the death rate drops tremendously. So one estimate says that the actual mortality rate for BBLs is one in 14,952. And another says it's as low as one in 20,117, both of which are now lower than the mortality rate for tummy tucks, which is another, um, you know, popular, less stigmatized surgery for people who have had children or have lost a large amount of weight and have like um, loose skin that they want to tighten up on their on their abdomen. So what a lot of people also might not realize is that there's a difference between someone who is a cosmetic surgeon and someone who is a board certified plastic surgeon. Now, board certified plastic surgeons have completed residencies in plastic surgery and are certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. 
Um, any licensed physician can call themselves a cosmetic surgeon by comparison, regardless of what um, training they've received. And that's where a lot of the dangers with BBLs comes into play. So like with the rise in popularity of the, of the procedure, people who aren't qualified to do the procedure um, are posing as people who are qualified to do the procedure. So you could be a licensed pediatrician, for example, and legally you could call yourself a cosmetic surgeon to give the impression that you can safely perform BBLs, which is honestly another indictment of the systems or the society in which we live. The fact that you can legally do that. So, um, People who are, who are, you know, cosmetic surgeons do not have the same credentials, um, and the same training as people who are plastic surgeons. And so the issue again comes back to capitalism, right? Medical professionals are more concerned with making money than the health and safety of the people under their care. So, um, so much so that they, you know, will take advantage of people who maybe haven't done enough research to know that cosmetic surgeons are not qualified to do plastic surgery or people who want so badly to get the work done that they'll cut corners and go the cheaper, less safe route. And again, this is why I like looking at this from a sociological perspective, because although body modification is a common human social behavior, the way we've structured society can have undesirable consequences for groups of people who are inclined to participate in these behaviors. So um, nothing is out of the ordinary about getting BBLs, but it's concerning the way our social institutions kind of collude in feeding our insecurities and driving us to seek out solutions to things that aren't inherently problems and then unnecessarily endangering people to further line the pockets of the select few who position themselves as themselves and their products or their services as the answer to your insecurities. So um, for me, that's what's most problematic about, you know, BBLs is, is, it's kind of predatory. The, the, you know, medical systems and people who are posing as, uh, qualified surgeons, you know, it's, it's predatory. So, um, I have an issue with that much more so than I do with the people's desire to have a body that looks a certain way or to conform to beauty standards. Um, and then misconception number three is BBLs make you look like an ant or a donkey or a diaper booty or uh, IG baddie or you're trying to be an influencer or a model or insert all these other things about what people think BBLs look like or make you look like. People are so convinced that there is one unmistakable look for a, a BBL body. And they'll assume if you get a BBL, you're going to come out looking like Kim K or Black China, or that you're going to have impos- an impossibly small waist with impossibly huge ass and just impossible proportions. And that's not the reality of BBLs. First of all, There are lots of white girls who are definitely out here getting skinny BBLs, which are BBLs on people who are thin and don't have very much fat to harvest. So the changes are subtle, but they're there. And they're definitely, absolutely, for sure, little thin white girls who are getting BBLs and, you know, doing what they do. BBL bodies don't all look the same because... 
our body frames don't all look the same. I had to have realistic expectations of what I was actually, or what was actually possible for my body because while the surgery could enhance my curves, it could not change my frame or my bone structure. So my surgeon was very honest about what he could do for me and what he could not do for me. A person with a frame like mine, which is... um an inverted triangle. So like top heavy, wide at the top and like narrow as you travel down my body. Person with a frame like that is not going to come out of surgery and be a pear shape suddenly and be like bottom heavy. That's not realistic. So my surgeon flat out told me that my shoulders will always be wider than my hips, no matter how many surgeries that I get, you know, how many rounds that I get, my my shoulders are always going to be wider. And so I knew and this, so something that I knew that this wasn't even a possibility, but I still told him, <laughs> don't have me looking like black China. Um, I knew he, I knew he couldn't physically, but I just had to say it. I don't know. But when I told him that he told me that it wasn't physically possible, which I already knew, but he said that it wasn't because I didn't have the space for it. So like you don't go from having a flat butt and narrow hips to having like a huge, you know, ass like, like black China because one for one, because there's not enough room. Like think about it. You have a flat ass and narrow hips, you don't have much space there as compared to somebody who has like wider hips, there's more room to put stuff. So you don't have enough space, like your skin can only stretch so much. So it wasn't physically possible for him, for me to go in there and to come out with an ass that looked as big as black China's, at least not in one surgery. So the outcome of your surgery is going to be limited by the frame that you have. And, um, that's not your frame is not going to change just because you move some 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 fat around. So um, that brings me to my next point. People don't really realize that some of the influencers and the IG baddies and the celebrities that they um, are seeing with these you know proportions that seem impossible. They have had multiple rounds to get their bodies to to look that way. And most women don't go into surgery in, in the U.S. and come out looking like Jessica Rabbit unless you already had like some ass on you and a small waist and proportion. And you just needed a little fat removed and, and moved around to um, exaggerate those proportions. And I say in the U.S. because there are regulations about how much fat um, can be removed in the U.S. So um, it's common for surgeons not to be able to remove more than like 4,000 cc of fat, which is equivalent to about eight pounds. And um, on top of that, they can only remove subcutaneous fat. There's that word again, subcutaneous, which is fat that is above the muscle. So the visceral fat, which is fat that's below the muscle, a surgeon can't touch. He can't get to that um, that that type of fat because it's dangerous to go below the muscle. So if you have more visceral fat than subcutaneous fat, if you have more fat that's below the muscle than above the muscle, you may not get the results that you want from a BBL. I lost... 10 pounds to prepare for surgery. And my surgeon still told me when I went in for my consultation, uh, I would need to lose more weight if I wanted to have ideal results. Now, have I lost more weight? No, because I didn't go to have like an ideal body or whatever. I just wanted to be more balanced out to, and 
like I said, not to be shaped like a pea from my side profile. So, you know, I don't care if I still have a little pudge, then I still have a little pudge. Now, um, in other places where it's popular to go for surgery, like the Dominican Republic, there are no regulations about the amount of fat that can be taken out. So that's why, um, that's why it'd be looking like people who come from the Dominican Republic are extra snatched because they are, because there are no regulations about how much fat and did it just be taken out everything. So, um, those, I feel like those regulations likely exist here for a reason. So it seems more risky to go abroad to circumvent safety measures and to get, uh, cheaper procedures. Um, so, um, in my time in the surgery community, because there is definitely a surgery community, the only girls that I've seen come out with like IG model proportions after, uh, one, after only one surgery were girls that already had frames that were mostly there. So they already had small waist, they already had big hips or, or decent size butts already. So it's, it's understood in the surgery community that if you want a certain look, like if you want a vixen look is a word that gets thrown around a lot, then you're going to go for multiple rounds of BBLs and you'll get projection in one round. Projection is how much your, how much your butt like sticks out and you'll get hips in another round because hips are notoriously hard to keep, which is something that I can answer questions about in the Q&A if y'all have um, questions about it. But yeah, so that's pretty much it. I've already been talking for an hour. I can't believe it. I could talk about this forever. Um, to sum things up, misogyny and misogynoir has a lot to do with why there is so much stigma around BBLs when the practice of body modification is as old as bodies. It's why you can feel good about fixing your teeth or, you know, doing an extra strict diet to drop unwanted weight, but then you get to be self-righteous in comparison to us mentally ill or downtrodden women who get surgery, right? It's why women get body shamed regardless of what of, of whether they are natural or they have natural bodies of or whether they've gone under the knife. It's why men who get cosmetic surgery don't undergo nearly as much scrutiny as women who do. Like I remember, I remember, do you remember when Drake popped up on the timeline fine as fuck out of nowhere? Like I remember that I, I don't, I don't know what year it was or when exactly it happened, but I remember (laughs) the moment I saw Drake after he had had some kind of, some kind of surgery and he looks good. He looked really good. And there were rumors and, you know, rumblings and mumblings about, you know, him having had work done, but it never really became a huge thing. Like I know it was, I was it Diddy. I don't know if it was Diddy. It was some celebrity that talked shit about him getting ab etching, getting fake abs or whatever. But like Drake has had more work done than just some damn abs, right? Drake looks good. Drake didn't, did not used to look good, but it was just kind of accepted that, okay, Drake is fine now. (laughs) So, um, something similar happened with Jack Harlow. Like never before have I seen as many people, you know, saying that he's attractive, like as I'm seeing now. And so there recently were his pictures, his before pictures, alleged before pictures of his alleged surgery, uh, have been circulating the timeline. And like in his before picture, he, he had no chin. 
you know? So his surgery was for the best. And then there's been pictures of Michael B. Jordan. Um, he's another one who has allegedly had work done and he looks better for it. And we just never have the same energy for men who get surgical enhancements. So again, it has a lot to do with like misogyny, which goes back to how our society is structured and the, 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 the consequences for people who, you know, perform certain behaviors and all this stuff is, is tied in with each other. So, um, yeah, misogyny is the point. I think if the concern was genuine, then we would do what's within our, what's within our control and stop fucking talking about people's bodies. Like we don't control mainstream media, but the least that we could do is keep our mouth and our Twitter fingers off of other people's bodies. Like it really doesn't make sense to be so worried about why someone would resort to getting a BBL if you can't or haven't committed to ensuring that people never feel unsafe in their bodies as a result of your actions or your words. So there's that. Um, the last thing I want to say before I go, a reminder, I told you I would remind you that if you want to hear more about my personal experience getting a BBL, then send me your questions. A link is in the show notes to ask your questions anonymously. So go do that. Or if you don't care about being anonymous, you can hit me on Instagram or Twitter at not the wifey type. Um, because as you can see, I have lots to say on the subject. I could keep talking, but I won't. Um, and as a bonus, if you like this episode or any other episodes, go leave a review because it's really helpful. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>